Um, in the previous few weeks, we've discussed the different reasons that poskim take minhag as a category uh, seriously, noting the blurred lines that often existed, existed and continue to exist in the minds of most people between halacha and minhag, um, because for most people there isn't a firm distinction in their mind between the different rationales for the reason that they follow Jewish practice. We noted that because of the emotional connection that people have to the practice that they're used to, as well as the conviction that the direction that the Jewish people have taken is inspired by Hashkacha, Poskim are very reticent to challenge Minak. But we need to now further define what we're talking about when we refer to minhag. Um, one type of minhag is a personal minhag. In general, personal minhagim, to the extent which they're binding, the assumption is that, uh, of most poskim, is that they're binding based on neder, based on the category in halacha of a vow, of a personal commitment. And this is discussed primarily in Shulchan Aruch, Simen Reishir Dalit, Dvarim HaMutarim, Vayodim Bahem Shem Mutarim, Nahogu Bahem Isur, Havik Ilu Kiblu Alehem Beneder, Vasur Latiram Lahem. Things which are permitted. So here we're talking about, again, in the past few weeks we've discussed things that people refer to as minhag, but their authority does not come from the fact that they're a minhag, such as the custom of quote-unquote Ashkenazi communities to follow the Ramah, Svarity communities to follow the Beit Yosef, and the like, where really that type of minhag can be argued to be a subcategory of Maradatra. Here we're talking about things which the authority derives from the fact that they are customs. And Shulchan Aruch explains and summarizes a body of halachic literature that assumes that this is a form of neder. Now, as we'll see, it may not be identical to a regular neder. There may be distinctions. But fundamentally, this is something where, again, tvarim hamutarim, it is permitted, vayodim bahem shehem mutarim, and those who know that they are permitted, nahogu bahem isur, still are accustomed to treat them as forbidden. It's here where Shulchan Aruch writes that it's ki'ilu kiblu alayhem b'neder va'asur la'atiram lahem. It is prohibited to let them violate their commitments, but the power, the force of their commitment is itself what makes it binding. And he continues slightly later in And he says, under what circumstances is such a minhag binding? When does it gain the force of neder, of a vow? So he says, if someone intended to accept a particular Chumrah forever. So then, as soon as he performs that act once and begins practicing in accordance with that stringency, the neder, or the neder equivalent, takes effect. And now, in order to permit such a person to 
go against this custom that he's now accepted, he would need to be matir neder, he would need to annul, to undo his vow. And therefore, Shulchan Aruch warns that if somebody wants to accustom himself to prohibit things which are indeed permitted for purposes of safeguards to protect the Torah or prishut, to be stringent and more pious, if he wants to accept certain stringencies without it taking the force of a neder, of being a minhag, which would then have to be undone through atarat nedarim, parenthetically, this is in fact one of the things that we mention when we say atarat nedarim in yamim noraim. So he says that such a person who doesn't want to end up in that situation where he's bound by neder, he should elaborate explicitly and say that he is simply accustoming himself one time, several times, but not as a lifestyle. He notes, however, that this type of neder, this type of minag, which is binding by virtue of the fact that it is a self-created commitment, only works in a case in which the person is fully aware that this is permitted, and yet is being machmer, and yet is being stringent. However, if someone believes that it is prohibited, so and then learns that it is not, is not a neder. And here, I think, is the most striking statement that one could have of what it means for a minhag to be binding simply because it is a custom. The Shulchan Aruch is telling us that if somebody thinks something is prohibited and therefore is machmir, or has a minhag to be machmir, that is not a binding minhag because he assumes that the authority for his actions, derives from halacha, from law, meaning from the fact that this is prohibited. If it turns out that that is not the case, then the basis for his chumrah falls away. And therefore, this cannot be called a minhag which is binding qua minhag. It's a minhag which is being practiced qua interpretation of halacha, which if it turns out to be wrong or subject to dispute, and the person who's practiced this, wants to follow the other position, so then he is not going to be bound. Others warn or suggest that even in such a case, he should have a tarat nedarim. But here the Shulchan Aruch introduces a second possibility. And that is that perhaps it is specifically the second type of Chumrah, namely that in which a person accepts a particular position, a particular halachic position, is only there 
where the authority fundamentally comes from neder or the like, and therefore it can be nullified by hatarat nederim. On the other hand, when you're dealing with a neder, a, a minhag, which is not based on a presumption of Isser. So then Shulchan Aruch writes that some believe that the power of such a custom is beyond a regular neder and therefore is not subject this to This position, he explains, the Beit Yosef emerges from passage in the Yerushalmi in Perek Dalet Aleph of Psachim. Where Biosi Barbon Omer called Davar Shein Yodebo Shemutar Bohu Toev and Ohegbo Yisur Nishal Vimatirim Lo so in the Beit Yosef, he notes um, that this category, again, do, he does argue, seems to emerge from neder as well. Um, but, um, in a different, perhaps deeper way. Now, the Beit Yosef himself does note that this only means that one cannot be martyred for no reason without a petach, like any other neder. But if one has good reason to be martyred, so then presumably one could be Matir, even such a neder. So here you have two presentations by the Beit Yosef. One is that it is specifically a minhag, which is committed to, not with knowledge, with full knowledge that what we're dealing with is a non-halachic category that is binding by dint of its status as custom, and it is binding because of some form of neder. However, a minhag, where the authority would come from halacha, a minhag, where the person is simply being stringent because he believes that this is the law, that is not really deriving its authority from the fact that it's a custom, but rather from the, the assumption of what the halacha is. And that type of minhag is much easier uh, to deal with from a halachic perspective. Um, because all one needs there is not even a hatarat ndarim, but rather a mm, one needs to educate the person that the practice was uh, was not necessary. On the other hand, the Beit Yosef presents this alternative model in which it's precisely the category of minhagim accepted for halachic reasons that can be nullified because of a normal level of, of chumrah, of neder, and there is some sort of extreme, stronger neder status which takes effect on a um, on a neder that one accepts when one is not obligated uh, to do so. 
So here we have the first type of category of minhag, and that is a minhag which is accepted because not for halachic reasons, I mean not because of the belief that it reflects halacha, but for some other reason, and it becomes binding either because of some weak or, or super strong um, neder-like category, where the Shulchan Aruch brings two positions as to whether um, one is allowed to be mater neder without charata or with charata, meaning this is clearly a neder-like thing. The question of how strong of a neder it is um, is going to be important for exactly what type of hatara you need. However, the Shulchan Aruch notes that the more lenient um, position is the uh, correct one, or the minhag is like the first formulation, namely that such a minhag is subject to atar nedarim even without a petach. Now there is a question whether the neder that we're dealing with here is in fact biblical uh, or not. The simplest understanding of this sugya is that the neder uh, in question is uh, is only uh, rabbinic, as the sugya in uh, in Nidarim from which this discussion is derived says umai bal yachel mi dirabanan. and then the gemara says umi ika bal yachel mi dirabanan. If is there is is there such a prohibition on a rabbinic level? And Mara answers in Vatanya Dvarim Hamutarim Vachirim Nagubani Surieta Rashaila Tiran Bifnehem Shneemar Lo Yachel Divaro. There is some discussion, the Chsam Sofer and some Chuvot does write that perhaps the Neder here is in fact biblical, and some of the later Achonim. Um, work on defending this position of the Chassam Sofer. But so far what we've seen is that one category of minhag is non-halachic minhagim. Minhagim where one accepts a practice not because he believes that it is prohibited and that he is bound to by some type of neder, raita or dirabanan, which is either at a weak level neder, which can be nullified even without harata, um, sorry, even without a petach, rather, even without a reason, per se, to nullify it, or it is a stronger type of neder, which will indeed need a petach, and the Shulchan Aruch writes that we take the more lenient position. Now, one might ask why it would be that people would accept such a minhag. Really, that question is uh, is not about minhag per se. That question is about the notion of chumrah. Why would people accept um, chumrot? Um, we will not spend much time on it, but just to outline a few uh, directions here. Um, much of the discussion about when a minha- when a chumrah should be taken in the post game is taken. Um, from uh, from discussions in which the poskim try to figure out what types of chumrot are good 
and why in certain places in, in halacha we say hamachmir tavolav bracha, the one who is stringent will be blessed. Where in other cases, the poskim cite from the Yerushalmi that kol patur min adavar veosehu nikra hediot that anyone who is exempt from something and accepts it anyways is called a hediot is called a fool. There are many directions taken in poskim. Some distinguish between cases in which the Chumrah may lead to a Kula or may lead to an Isser. Those type of Chumrah are obviously negative, whereas a neutral Chumrah is fine. Some poskim say it depends. People who are in general meticulous about their halachic activity have the right to accept stringencies, whereas people where this is not consistent, where their religious world view or the way in general they express themselves religiously more precisely uh, should avoid it. Um, however, many postgame in different ways write that in general a Chumrah is positive if the value being accomplished because of the Chumrah is positive um, and a Chumrah is kolapatur uh, minadavar. Is is when there is no positive value. Uh, and this, I think, is, uh, is often the best way of explaining much of the, the evidence, and particularly in our case, that seems to be the direction that the Shulchan Aruch is taking, where he describes that the reason someone would do this is Lasyagu Liprishut. Now, there are different variations within this. Uh, the Vilna Gaon distinguishes between cases in which Something is a mitzvah be'etzem, but the individual is mekel, is himself patur, is himself exempt, and chooses to participate. There, obviously, the act is objectively speaking positive, as it is a mitzvah, and therefore it's a good chumrah to take. Other types of chumrot, which are not mitzvah be'etzem, he pushes against. That type of uh, explanation is not helpful in this case, where we're dealing with non-halachic activities. But there are other position suggested in that suya that are helpful. So, for example, the Be'er Sheva writes that any Chumrah which is taken to distance oneself from sin is a positive Chumrah. And that seems to be the type of argument that works with the, the language here of, uh, of Shulchan Aruch, where he writes that you are accepting these minhagim mishum siag. So just to look for a moment at the Be'er Sheva, this is in the Tshuva Be'er Sheva, Siman Chof Aleph, he writes, if the Rushalmi writes, etc. How can you sometimes say that the Minhag is good, meaning a Minhag of Chumrah, and he says, "Shema yesh lo mard lo amru biyushalmi kol apatur min adavar v'osei nikra hediot elok shosei oto b'derech chumra." Um, etc. And he says, there's a difference if people are worried about an actual problem, so then 
to take on a Chumrah is, uh, is indeed proper. The other reason that the Shulchan Aruch had written, which was Derech Prishut, so the Me'iri writes something along these lines as well, in the context of distinguishing between good Chumras and bad ones. He writes in Babakama Pezayin, that the category of kolapatur mina davar baoseu der nikra hediot davar ze eno elav davar shekol kayotze baze ose patur mimenu ve eno davar sheitzei menu seichel omusar o silsul o achnara lev. This is only something you're exempt from, but nothing will come out of it which is ethical or um, humbles the heart. Ve kayotze baze. That no positive value uh, comes out from it. So therefore, again, this sugya deserves a uh, an examination of itself. But these types of explanations, I help, think, help us understand category one of minhag. So again, to summarize it, there is this category which is a minhag, which is binding simply because it is a minhag. And its authority comes from some version of Neder, Doraita, or Jerabanan, depends on how one understands it. So again, Nedarim Daftedvav. And the two positions quoted in Shulchan Aruch as to whether the authority of such a Minhag is a strong level Neder, one that needs a real Petach, an explanation for why one was mistaken to enter into the situation in order to undo the neder, or it's a lower level neder. But however one takes it, it seems to be that this is the type of minhag which authorities comes from the very fact that it is practiced. And again, the rationale for why one might take such a minhag, as Shulchan Aruch notes, is the siyagul prishut. And based on the sources that we saw in the context of Chumrah, it might be for cases that are legitimate to try to avoid Isur or to accept certain stringencies that push you in the direction of better ethical behavior, religious behavior, and the like. The second category of Minhag, which Shulchan Aruch discusses here, as we noted before, is Minhag, where one accepts a custom for halachic reasons, because one believes that it is forbidden. But as we've noted before, this is the type of custom where the language of minhag is a bit problematic, because as Shulcharach notes, in his first position, you don't even need any hatarat nedarm to get rid of that practice when it turns out that you discover that your halachic practice was incorrect because the authority there is not really being derived from custom and therefore not being derived from this quasi-minug category. It's deriving its authority from halacha. And therefore, if one interprets the halacha differently or discovers that the halacha is different, so then, according to the first position of Shulchan Aruch, the authority evaporates. What's fascinating is the second position in Shulchan Aruch, though the one that he writes he is not inclined towards, which is that even 
minhagim of the second kind. Minhagim, which are accepted to protect halacha, meaning accepted because one thinks this is the halacha, in addition to their authority, which derives from halacha, they also gain a certain level of authority from the very fact that one practiced it, from the minhag, which itself derives its authority from neder, and therefore, according to the second position of Shulchan Aruch, that, in fact, would need hatarit nidarim as well. So that is the second type of custom. These areas of minhag, however, get more complicated when we move from personal minhagim to the realm of family minhagim and communal minhagim uh, and the like. And this is often more precisely what people refer to when they refer to minhag. So if you continue there in Shulchan Aruch, in Sif Bet, Shulchan Aruch summarizes as follows. Kabbalat harabim chala aleihem ve'al zaram. The acceptance of a community devolves upon them and on their children. And like in the first case, where the neder here is implicit rather than explicit, where a normal neder one needs to verbalize and say, I'm accepting to do X or not do X. In the case of this minag category that binds one by dint of what he does, the minag is binding even without the verbalization. The neder status takes effect simply by the fact that one committed to practicing in a certain way. The same thing is true not just when it comes to the individual, but when it comes to the community. So even if they didn't accept it is binding. And he writes that that minhag because of its unique avenue of neder meaning the avenue of neder that takes effect through practice and not through verbalization. Again, regardless of whether that's right or dirabanan because it is not explicit, it is implicit, and yet recognized halachically, it's binding not only on the individuals who were present when that commitment was made, but maybe didn't choose to join in that commitment. Even if a city accepts such a practice and people move in from outside of the city, it is indeed binding even on those new members of the community. And he notes that these types of customs, these types of chumrot, the same authority that binds a person who moves into a community that has accepted such practices, relieves that individual of the practices that he has from the community that he's left. Now, this is actually subject to a dispute in poskim, But for the moment, we will remain with the understanding of Shulchan Aruch. And
And here the logical progression of this siman is as follows. Once we have established that while a normal neder needs to be verbalized, there is a new category of either a weak or strong biblical or rabbinic bal yachel, which grants authority and binding power to non-halachic customs, which admittedly are taken on for good reasons, to protect the Torah, to instill a sense of piety in the practitioner. Once that is true for the individual, we then must move logically to the next question, which is, can a community accept such a custom and bind individuals who may not have chosen actively, explicitly, to agree with the practice of the community, can the community bind them as well? And to that, Shulchan Aruch writes, yes. And he clarifies that the unique nature of this type of minhag is that it is binding only insofar as one lives within the community that accepted the custom. And that cuts both the kula and the chumrah that when one enters into a community with a Chumrah, one becomes bound from it once he moves there and becomes a member of the community. While he's there temporarily, he may be bound to practice it for the optics. But fundamentally, he becomes bound to this set of Minhagim, of the new community when he moves there. And it's true Lakula as well, that because the binding nature of these Minhagim or because one is part of a community, it is only as long as that person is indeed part of the community that they are binding. This is the outline, the basic framework for understanding how it is that minhagim are binding. Minhagim, which are are binding qua minhag. What is complicated, however, is that well, Shulcharach makes it clear, and this is quite explicit in the fourth barrack of Psachim, that the same mechanism works for communities as does for individuals. What remains for us to ask is what type of community is it? And what we will discuss next week is that while the classic model of Minhagim were Minhagei Ha'ir, were Minhagim of the city, the nature of the globalized world that we live in has shaken the traditional assumptions of minhag in both directions. On the one hand, people have become more committed to familial minhagim than perhaps they were in the past, because in the past their familial minhagim were often identical to their city minhagim, because their family may have lived in a city for generations. And, at the other extreme, people continue to hold on to minhagim based on their place of origin, identifying with an ethnicity, such as Ashkenaz or Svarad, and therefore minhag becomes identified with large identity groups rather than simply with cities. And the question of how this model of minhag transforms from makom, which was the traditional way that it was applied, to eda, or mishpacha, is what we'll have to return to next week, where we see 
how this basic model of minhag transitions from the individual to the community and in what ways it does that.